Hi everyone, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are in the world. Um, I wanted to welcome, welcome you to our Mental Health Matters panel for Global GEG. Um, we're here today to talk about a really important subject. We're going to talk about mental health. Um, this came about because I've been running staff rooms for Global GEG since lockdown began in March to try and support teachers and people involved in education with their mental health. And I came to realise that lots of people had stories they wanted to share and lots of people benefited from hearing a shared story. Um, so I spoke to some of the lovely people in Global GEG and asked if anyone would be interested in working with me. Um, and this panel was born. So today there are three of us. We're going to talk about our personal mental health. Uh, hopefully we won't overwhelm you too much. And then we're going to give you a chance to ask us any questions you might have. And then from the back of that, I'm going to be launching my new website, Mental Health in Education, which can be found at www.mentalhealthineducation.com. Um, and that is live now. Um, and my aim is to upload a story a day to that. So if you have a mental health story you want to share, please, please do. Um, there's a form on the website and we'll be sharing the form to submit your story later today. Without ado, I'm going to introduce our moderator for today's talk, which is Stephanie Rothstein. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I was uh, very honored when Kat asked me to moderate this panel, and I feel lucky to be here. And uh, just a little bit of background, and then I'll bring in I'll bring you all in right now. I'll bring in our panelists here. Um, I, I, um, so my background is, I, oh, and if you have it open, panelists, if you have it open in another screen, you might want to pause or mute that. I don't think that's from me. There is a slight echo uh, there. There is a slight echo there. Just making sure everybody's good. Um, my other screen is muted. So I just wanted to say hello and thank you for having me. Um, my name is Stephanie Rothstein and I have the pleasure of being one of the founders of Global GEG um, and uh, knowing Kat through staff room and many other places. Um, and it is an honor to be here with people who are going to be so open and sharing their perspectives. Um, and, and their own background. So my goal in being here is to be an empathetic listener. I do not suffer from anything related in mental health. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't know people or have had students who have not, um, but it isn't my own personal story. So my goal here is to be an empathetic listener, and that means to really listen openly and to learn from that. And I'm not here to try to fix or change anything of the panelists. I'm just here to listen and to help guide us all and hopefully listening even more and learning from their stories. Um, and as we go through today's panel, um, each person is going to be sharing pieces. We'll go through one by one. They'll introduce themselves soon enough. Um, but we will pause and have some times for us uh, in the audience maybe to type some pieces in. Um, but if we really are listening, then we're really listening when they're sharing. And then we'll take some time to, to say some things of our own. But when they're talking, if you want to support them, you certainly can. But sharing our own perspectives will come at the end of each question. Um, so with that... Um, we'll begin with uh, just some introductions about who you are um, and what brought you here to the panel today. So maybe Darren, if you'd like to go first on that one. Yeah, yeah, I can go first. Um, hi everyone, uh, my name's Darren, um, at Ranga the Trainer on Twitter. Um, I am uh, coming up to 45, I'm a dad to a 16 year old at the moment, and 
I am uh, obviously husband as well and um, EdTech lead for two large academies in Essex in the UK, part of a trust of 58 schools, um, Google certified trainer, innovator, uh, various other bits and pieces, keen sportsman, and uh, personally, I um, suffer with um, particularly social anxiety, but anxiety in general, um, uh, which is diagnosed, and have had bouts of depression in the past as well. That's me. Thank you, Darren. Uh, Natalie? Hmm? Natalie, are you there? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. You're okay. We see you. We hear no. you. You can just talk to us. I have to yeah. turn my volume down. So, yeah. hi, I'm Natalie. Um, I'm a teacher in a secondary school. Um, I am subject lead for computer science. Um, I'm a mother, a wife, um, and uh, I think that's it. Is there anything in particular that brought you to this, uh, being on this panel today? Um, well, um, I'm friends with Kat, or I'd like to think I'm friends with Kat. <laughs> and um, well, we are open and honest with each other. And she's known that I've struggled um, with uh, stress from school and mental health to deal with some of my students, um, just general anxiety. And um, so she's asked me to share and um, I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm not ashamed. Thank you so much, Natalie. And then Kat to round Yeah, I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning, which was rather foolish of me. Um, I'm Kat, I was a primary school teacher for 11 years. Now I train teachers and students um, in using educational tools in computer science. Um, I'm a mother to a 13 month old, which turns out is hard work. They're tiring. Small people are tiring. Who knew? Um, and I was a teen, so for 18 years, uh, I, well, I was first diagnosed 18 years ago. I suspect it may have been a bit longer than that, but who knows? Um, and also, definitely aspects of anxiety and imposter syndrome. That's me. Thank you all for sharing. We're we're going to start to move into our questions in just a second, but I wanted to give, normally as we um, have these chats, people have shared in the chat as well. So you are more than welcome to, if you haven't already, to put who you are in the chat. If there's something that you want to share that um, brought you here to this panel today, you are more than welcome to put that in the chat as a comment um, as we move through. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that is here for sharing and being brave enough to be here to share and to share so openly before we even begin. Um, it's really much appreciated. And we'll be putting up some comments. So if you're putting it in there, just know that we'll be putting in some comments. If you don't want it shared, maybe put that when you type the comment um, and we'll know that. But it is PR on YouTube, just definitely. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Um, here, let's look at that. Before we start, just asking what for those who don't understand what 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 is imposter syndrome? What does that mean? Oh, that's a great question, Kat. Do you want to answer that? One? Oh, imposter syndrome. Um, I can guarantee that a large proportion of people here watching um, have suffered from imposter syndrome at least once in their life. Uh, there's evidence to suggest it's worse in women, but common uh, for a lot of people. 
Um, and it basically just is that feeling that you're not good enough, that constant feeling that you don't think you are worthy. So for example, in November, when I joined the Innovator cohort in Sweden, my first thought on walking into the room was, I'm not good enough to be here. Everyone here is better than me. Everyone here knows what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I'm not really, I shouldn't be here. It was a mistake. Um, and that is a frequent part of my life um, when I'm invited to do stuff and I'm involved in stuff. Um, yeah, and, and it's a really common one. And I know so many people who have struggled with imposter syndrome. I know on a daily basis, I I have, there's always somebody saying, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I'm good enough for this. In fact, I think Natalie was speaking to me about this. Oh, no, I don't think it's important. My story's not important. She was suffering about imposter syndrome even talking today. So, yeah, very important one. Thank you so much. And I think at this point, we're going to move. I was already seeing thank you to those who are putting in um, your own uh, connection with mental health struggle. Um, thank you again for being brave enough to share those and put those in the chat. Um, and we'll continue now with question, the official question one. Um, and so maybe let, we'll start with Natalie on this one. We're going to go with a different person each time and roundabout. So we'll go Natalie, then Kat, then Baron on this one. Okay, so this first one is, how do you feel when um, when you're struggling? I'm gonna fix that question as I realized it needed a little. Um, <clears throat> well, it's kind of difficult for, for me to kind of encapsulate it in a, a small sentence, because um, generally um, I just feel like a fraud all the time, um, especially in my subject, because in my subject, computer science is always changing and I always have to learn new stuff and programming languages change and they add different things to it um, and I just feel like I'm a fraud all the time like someone's going to find out and unlike I feel that I have one job that one job is that these parents have put their children in my in my care for that period of time during the day and if i screw it up that means that they their life is screwed up they don't get jobs they don't get houses you know they might not get the lives that they want just you know that i will do something that will screw them up and it will be horrendous and so i take all of that and i internalize it and then i try and get through the day um and then I have sometimes, a, I guess, an unhealthy relationship with the children. Some people say it's unhealthy. I think it's the only way forward, which is um, to Maslow before you bloom, that you must make sure that their their well-being is, is, is first and foremost the most important thing. And so I'm the mummy to everybody, to my colleagues, the students, my tutor group, to everybody. And then I take all of their stresses and all of their worries and everything else. And then I internalize it and I tell them exactly what I think they need to hear so that they can get through the day. And then I just kind of carry that around with me. So all the kids that are having trouble at home, all you know, the teachers who are struggling with behavior or struggling with their line managers or their or the trainee teachers who are dreaming about school, and I tell them that's never gonna stop. But yeah, so there's all of these things that make me feel like a fraud and make me feel like, like I can't go on. But because I'm being strong for everyone else, I don't have time 
to stop address how I'm feeling so kind of went through 10 years of being like this and just thinking oh it's everyday stress and then 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 one a period of time happened where it all came to a head where a child that I had taught in year seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and thirteen and was also in my tutor group um he died at um he died over the holiday period in year 13. And when I came back to school, I was feeling bereft and horrible and my world was collapsing, but everyone else around me needed me to be the rock that I always am to support them because he had died. His mother, his sister, all his tutor group, everybody in my tutor group, the kids in the class, no one wanted to sit in his seat. It was just, it was really stressful and I was busily coping with everyone else well I couldn't cope with myself until one day I was trying my best to get through a lesson and I just I just fell apart I just I kept teaching but I I also cried while I was teaching I just kept teaching and then I just kept crying and I thought this is not going well and you know there's this kid in the front of my lesson he was just like miss we get it it's okay. You're doing a great job. Just keep going. And unbeknownst to me, a kid had left the room and got someone else. And a member of staff came in and he, she was like, well, miss is having a hard time and uh, maybe you should leave. And I was like, I can get through this. And the kids are like, she's fine. We're going to, we're going to protect her. And it was at that moment, I realized that actually I, I couldn't do this by myself. I just, I couldn't do it by myself anymore. And so I've had some therapy, I had some grief counseling, I had some stress management. Um, and now I just have to feel really overwhelmed, really overwhelmed. And I just need to, sometimes I just need to pause. And that's what I'm learning to do, to pause and to recognize that although I want to be everyone's rock and I want to be there for everyone, everyone's mother, sister, you know, friend, confidant, you know, everyone's safe place, that I can't. I think that's really hard for me since I've always been that person for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. And even if I'm not particularly fond of you, if someone says, it's okay, Natalie will help you and they show up, then I, then I help. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing right now. And I think in many ways, what you brought up is going to lead us into some of our, the other questions that are going to come up for today. So if, as we get there, you feel like you've shared something, but there's another piece that you want to add when we go to that question, right on, feel free. Um, but I think that you've helped to start this off in a really deep, powerful and meaningful way that is personal. And so thank you for that. Um, Kat, do you want to go next? Yeah, wow. Um, it's really interesting hearing Natalie talk because I think one of the things you're saying about that feeling like you were responsible for the children taking on all their emotions, I think that's so common as an educator. I think that's one of the reasons why many of us go into education because we're quite empathetic naturally. We want to support our students. And um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean about that feeling like you've got to take on all of their problems. Um, and I, I've seen Natalie with her students and honestly, she's just so incredible. It's the way she is with her students, the way they respond to her. Um, it's amazing to see. But anyway, sorry. Um, 
so yeah, I, I've struggled with depression since I was 19. Um, I think it was probably sooner than that, but that was when I had my first major incident. Um, I was hospitalized, briefly, medicated. Um, and I just think it's really important to sort of explain, because I think a lot of people don't realize what it feels like to suffer from depression. Um, most people look at me and see a loud, vibrant, colorful, excitement. Uh, don't understand what's going on inside. So when I walk into a room, my first instinct is, nobody here is gonna like me. Oh my God, what am I gonna do? I should leave, I should go back out again. Um, and then I start getting loud over the top because I'm so anxious. And that's sort of a symptom of the depression and anxiety because I'm so nervous and so worried and so stressed that I need to hide it. I need to do something to hide behind. So I put on this, this persona, which actually has caused people to dislike me because they think I'm a bit annoying. Um, I, I mean, particularly since lockdown's begun, I've had more depressive incidents than normal. And what would ha what happens to me is I sort of start crying a bit about nothing. And then I start to convince myself of untruths. So, for example, I became convinced that a group of people disliked me. And then I started they were just being nice to me for no reason. You know, they just being nice to me to be polite. They didn't actually like me. Um, and I got to the point where I literally just sat on my bed and cried. Uh, I was paralysed by this feeling that people disliked me and it was all in my head. Um, and I'm very lucky. I've got a really supportive partner. I have a one-year-old, but I've got someone who can help pick up the slack when I do have these moments. Um, and I just had to lie in my bed and I couldn't move. I physically couldn't stand up because of the weight of this feeling of sadness that had come out of nowhere. Um, this feeling that, that it, you know, nobody really likes me. It's all made up. And and what I find amazing and terrifying and saddening is that I can go from feeling absolutely fine one day to an hour later, this paralyzing sadness kicking in. Um, and it just comes out of nowhere and there is no explanation for it. And, and for example, when I was pregnant, I was expecting to suffer from depression. I was expecting my hormones to be all over the place. I was fine. Um, when my dad got ill, I wasn't great. When he actually eventually passed away, I was fine because I knew I was expecting it. I could cope with it. Um, and yeah, it's it's really difficult. Um, really, really difficult when you struggle with um, your mental health because you just never know when it's going to come upon you. Um, and with something like depression, it's it's horrible because I get those feelings of I'm not good enough. Nobody would care if I went. Nobody would care if I left. And I know it's not real. I know in the back of my mind that I'm making it up, but it's prevailing, prevailing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. That's my day-to-day -day life. Thank you for sharing, Kat. Um, Darren? Um, yeah, quite similar experiences and similar feelings to Kat, actually. Um, although I was only diagnosed in November um, when I basically, um, quite similar to Kat, ended up almost uh, uh, similar to Nat, sorry, um, sort of hitting a wall in the middle of a lesson because of a whole load of things going on, both in my home life and in school. Um, my wife was, was really ill and was waiting for an operation at the time. Everybody was kind of getting on me, saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you should be doing this, you should be that. Everybody then wanted sort of, they wanted answers as to what was happening because it was, you know, taking a long time to get the, the surgery to go ahead. And 
and I couldn't give people answers and I couldn't, couldn't make my wife go any better. The daughter's in year 11, so she, she was preparing for exams, which obviously didn't happen in the end. Um, the work's really busy as well. So I've, I've been a teacher for 21 years now. Uh, and I think in the first 10 years, um, I didn't really, I don't think there was a problem. Um, then I moved into senior leadership, and I think gradually as that's gone on, I, I did 10 years as a senior leader um, in secondary schools, including um, uh, a short stint as a head of school as well, and quickly decided it wasn't for me because I couldn't be myself. Um, I like to have a laugh and a joke with students. I like to build relationships with the students and with the staff as well. Um, and one of the things I found, I think, being a senior leader was that you know, in the office amongst your colleagues, and I've had some fantastic colleagues and fantastic head teachers over the years, but you, you've got to kind of maintain that. Whatever is said in here is one thing, but out there we've got on a, you know, a calm front, whether it's Ofsted and walking through the door, whether it's LEA, whether it's something's happened, you know, we've, we've been through a number of very tragic circumstances as well in school. And you do just because you're in that situation, you feel like you have to support everybody else. Um, and so I think I've probably done the best part of 12, 13 years of work and probably longer in the family life supporting everybody else. And then um, a few years back, my wife's uh, mother-in-law mother was diagnosed with 57 with frontal temporal dementia. Um, and that was a very, very rapid decline, a very stressful situation for the whole family. Um, my mother-in-law sadly passed away um, about seven or eight years later, having moved into a home, and she just got to the stage where she couldn't do anything at all, couldn't recognise her. Um, my wife wanted support, but I really felt that I couldn't go and visit the home because I felt, I'm six foot five, I'm a big guy, you know, 17 and a half stone. I, I felt I scared the other people in the home, um, and the, my mother-in-law because she didn't recognise me, was also scared of me, and I didn't feel that was fair on them. So I didn't go to the home, but then I felt guilt to not going with my wife. Um, and then within six months of each other, my mum passed away as well from um, lip disease. So um, a really, really difficult time emotionally for, for all of us. At the same time as schools being schooled and goalposts constantly changing, and you know, the way I tend to, I think, to kind of encapsulate how I feel, um, very similar to that. I will, you know, in a school I've been working in the best part of 20 years, I will walk into the staff room, there will be people in the staff room that I've worked with for 20 years, and something in me will make me sometimes, just for no reason whatsoever, make me do that stupid, I'm just checking my pigeon, I'll walk back out again, rather than stop and have a conversation. Um, just because I don't, I'm rubbish at small talk. I really am. I'm not good at holding conversations for the sake of holding conversations. Uh, I kind of want to talk for a, for a purpose. Uh, and I think when I get nervous, uh, as some of you will probably appreciate, um, I tend to use humour as a as a defence mechanism and laugh everything off and make a joke and pretend everything's okay. You know, um, and it. I think I managed to do that really well for a long time. And then October, November, people who were brilliant, people around me, friends and family and colleagues at work, saw through it and said to me, you know, you need to stop, you need to sort this out. And I literally got straight phone and called the doctors and, you know, 
haven't looked back. You know, haven't looked back. It's the best thing I've done. Um, but, but wow, it's been a journey. So that almost leads right into our next question. Do you mind starting us off on that one, Darren, since I think you were right there, which is um, what helps you feel less overwhelmed? And then we'll go to Kat after. Yeah, sure. Um, I was quite fortunate um, because of lockdown, it made things a little bit easier in terms of um, attending appointments and stuff because I wasn't at school anyway. So I was able to go through a course of uh, CBT, which I found really, really useful and just the the processes of stepping outside of the problem and analyzing because I catastrophize uh, because I don't like because of the anxiety I don't like the unexpected so I will imagine in my head what's the worst thing that could happen and then plan what I will do in that scenario so that I'm prepared for it and then I'll, then I won't be anxious but of course it as a counter up <laughs> counterbalance of actually making you think about it more which makes you more anxious um, so I learned quite a few techniques, um, and it was, it was actually, if I'm honest, it was just nice to be in a room. It was a group CBT. There was about 10 of us, and about half of us were, were men. Um, and I think just sitting in the room and just talking and hearing other people talking about their, their experiences and seeing other men there just made me feel so much better about it because I've I've always been a little bit, you know, as a senior leader, I was... You can't show any weakness, otherwise that's it, career's over. As a man, you can't show any weakness because you're expected to be, you know, rightly or wrongly, you're expected to be the rock for everybody else. Um, so that CBT was really useful in terms of um, in terms of starting to manage and, and stop myself from being overwhelmed. But I make uh, a real point now to step outside, to go and get some fresh air if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed, to go and have a walk, which I've never done. I've never been a walker. I took up park run um, just to give myself something to make me feel like I got up at the weekend and made the most of my weekend. It was the first thing on the Saturday morning, and by half past nine, I was kind of up and about where I was. I was tending to mope around and kind of knock it out of bed, and yeah, so things like that. I mean, I love my sport. I love my hockey. I've just turned back to golf again, which I'm really enjoying. Um, so all of those things help me. Um, I'll be brutally honest. I wish I could talk to my uh, to my wife more, but um, I don't because um, because of her mum's situation, which can be genetic. She's no, you know, understandably worried about her future, and I don't really want to give her any excess stress because um, that tends to have a negative effect on on mental health anyway. And, and the last thing I want to do is kind of give her more to worry about and end up, you know, not having as long as I would like with her. So. That part of things I tend to keep myself, but certainly that, that CBT and, and just going and having a walk or going and having five minutes, um, which is something I don't think we ever do enough in, in education because we don't often get time. You know, it's, it's a conveyor belt of students or tasks to do, whether you're in the, the classroom or whether you're in the office, you know. So try and make time for yourself, even if it's just five minutes. Thank you, Darren. Kat? Um, yeah, so one of the things I started doing recently is actually I use Twitter when I'm struggling with my mental health because the first time I did one of these talks, which was three years ago now, um, I sort of made a promise to myself that I'd be more open about any time I struggled rather than just keeping it in. Um, so I have to admit, I find it really difficult, but I will force myself to write something on Twitter and just 
that process of that that catharsis of getting it out makes a huge difference to me um because and, and it's really bad like i i um last time i struggled I, I wrote something and i couldn't message my best friend i couldn't message my partner but i could force myself to get that message on twitter and then once i'd done that i was able to message my friend i was able to message my other half and i was able to let it out a bit um and it, it's funny because social, social media is a double-edged sword i know for a lot of people it makes their mental health significantly worse um, because they start going down the, the trap of reading stories, reading things that make them feel bad. But for me, I'm very lucky that I I have that social network of people who will support me, um, but also people who, I, I don't have people who think I'm completely nutso for posting about my mental health. Um, and then as Darren was saying, I, I, I hate running with a passion, but I took up running. I need to get back into it. Um, I still hate it. But um, I started using an app called Zombies Run. I think some of you may remember when I did the app, the um, Smackdown, talked about Zombies Run. Yeah. It's silly, it's gamified, and it's a nice story while you run. Um, and yeah, just talking to my friends. I have to force myself to go out the door because if I'm struggling, I don't want to leave and I don't think anyone wants to see me. And I'm getting better now at making myself go out, making myself do things. Um, because being around people, it feels like the opposite of what I want to do, but I know it helps. And I just have to fight those brain gremlins and be like, no, you're wrong. I need to be around people right now. And ice cream. Ice cream also helps. Always ice cream. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. I feel like you said that for me, but I appreciate it. Natalie, what helps you when you feel uh, to feel less overwhelmed? Um, <clears throat> actually, to get where I got, I had two nights in shining armor. Um, the first one was my head teacher, who, when I went in, I said, I can't cope. This isn't working. This has happened. I quit and handed in my resignation. He said, don't be ridiculous. You're broken. No one will have you. You're having a really rough time you need to deal with this a different way. You can't just run away from it. And I like, in my life, I, I don't like the gray bits. So I prefer it when you just say, call a spade, spade, don't sugarcoat it. And when he said, Nat, you're broken, no one will have you, don't run away. That was, you know, to some people it might sound really harsh, but to me it was, it was factual. Um, and that really helped me to kind of focus. And so when he said that to me, I have a person. And so I text the person and I said, he said, and he said, yeah, he's right. And I said, but I can't have counseling. I can't, I can't, I can't talk to anyone. And this person who I've known for a long time, I thought, well, I hope I, I am his rock. I am the person who he always talks to. But he then said, you have to have counselling. It's the best thing ever. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, and he explained to me what counselling was and explained to me all the therapy he'd had and when he'd had it and what happened and how he felt. And I was just like, oh, my God. 
and this is someone who I respect. I mean, I really, really respect. I hold him in such high esteem. And I just thought, okay, I, I need to do this. And so I did. I went to see my GP as I was instructed. And my GP said, yeah, you're in a bad way. And the only thing that kept me going was knowing that actually in all of the madness that was going on, I'm so blessed. I have an amazing husband. I have an amazing family. All my colleagues and peers I hold in such high esteem. And they all came and they said, it's okay not to be okay. And it's the same thing that I would have said to them. And they said, you know, you would have said that to us. And I was like, yeah, I would have. But the idea of not being a rock was so hard. And then I went, and now I realized that actually I just needed an outlet. And sometimes I literally just text and I text almost like a brain dump. And he answers. And my therapist, counselor, she tells me that she validates my experiences. And I suppose that's what I needed. I needed someone to validate that I wasn't weak and pathetic and attention seeking for being, for not being a rock for myself. So I guess just knowing that it's okay to not be okay was important. And actually, one of the reasons I ended up here tonight is because Kat tweeted something and she put something on Facebook and I didn't comment on it, but I messaged her privately. And then the dialogue opened. And Kat, I respect her so much. She's so amazing and so talented and so inspirational. And if it's okay for her to say, it's okay to not be okay, then actually maybe that's okay too. I'm going to stop now because I'm falling apart. <laughs> I'm not. You're, you're amazing, Natalie. So um, thank, thank you for sharing so deeply with all of us. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Um, and as as we go, like I have to breathe a second for that one. Um, but for as we move in, there were a ton of comments that were coming in from the chat of support from so many people for everybody in the last for the last um, two questions. So I just wanted you all to know that I wasn't popping them on screen on purpose. I didn't want it to distract necessarily from the stories that we were being told. But please know that there were a ton of comments in there and also people starting to share some of their own um, mental health struggles. And uh, we just appreciate people being so open and supportive of one another as we are talking here today. Um, Kat, for the third question, um, I think we started, some of you started to hint at it. I know Natalie, um, and Darren both were talking about things within education. So maybe we'll start with you, Kat, on this one. How do you think being in education can affect your mental health or how has it specifically affected your mental health? Um, so when I was struggling, one of the things I always found is that as a teacher, I would still be doing my job 
passionately. And I may break down at the end of the lesson, but I was still there for my children. Um, but what I found interesting, I mean, I, I at the time, I thought my school were incredible because they knew I struggled with my mental health. Um, they supported me. They asked me what I needed. But there was a big sort of headline of, you do not let anybody know this. The parents don't know, the students don't know. This is not discussed, this is taboo. Um, and I, um, because you're not being true to yourself. And in my final year of teaching, I actually had a parent come to me on parents' evening to say that their nine-year-old daughter had just been diagnosed with um, clinical depression. Uh, we had some things going on in the school, including a parent dying and some horrible other bits and pieces but um yeah and the parents were sort of looking at me with this pleading look in their eyes saying we need somebody to look after our child and i managed to sort of convey to them without explicitly saying that i knew where they, where she was coming from and i was able to support her and the look of relief on their face was incredible the fact that they knew that somebody was supporting their daughter who understood that depression wasn't attention seeking and it wasn't just being a bit grumpy. Um, and it, it kind of saddens me that certainly in the UK, it's expected that you don't talk about it because you wouldn't be able to teach if you were depressed. You wouldn't be able to teach if you had mental health problems. Because I know a huge amount of teachers with varying different mental health conditions. And I think it makes you a better teacher in some ways. Because in my case, and it sounds like in Natalie and Darren's case, it makes you more empathetic, more likely to understand what the students are going through and want to support them and be able to support them um, and I think one of the things that kept me going when I was really struggling was that thought that those children rely on me I can't let them down I can't let this depression overwhelm me I need to be there for them um, so yeah I think it's a, again it's, it's a funny one with education because it is such an empathetic role um, and it can because of those pressures from wanting to be there to support your students, it can be hard and it can be full of pressure. But at the same time, it can also be the thing that lifts you up, the thing that helps you. So yeah, bit of a funny one. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. Darren? Yeah, I mean, in my, I was a partial leader for nine years and so hard not to take things home with you. you know, <laughs> you appreciate so much um what other people are going through and, and how some students even get themselves to school in the morning um and then you end up dealing with sort of little fallouts where you're know, trying to smooth the waves again because some people haven't realized the kind of life that that student's got and that's nobody's fault because everyone's under their own pressures but you know, within education generally i know reshma put in the chat you know there's, there's that old adage of, you know, those who can't teach. Um, and I think particularly in the UK, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but there is there is such a culture of um, teach, not teacher bashing, because that, that's the wrong word, but there's a lack of um, appreciation for just how much is involved in working in the school, whether you're a teacher or whether you're receptionist or the person who's on student services or whatever it might be you know you are doing a hundred jobs a day sometimes repeatedly uh, and you're going from up here to down there to trying to level up the people out you very rarely get time for yourself uh, and you know if the students get great results 
it's because the exams were too easy. If the students get bad results, it's because the teachers didn't work hard enough. Um, so there's, there's no onus on the students whatsoever. Um, yet, there's still plenty of pressure on them because we're held to account for our results. And, as we, and naturally, we then pass that on to them. So I think a lot of the issues around young people's mental health is not their own pressures, but pressures that are forced onto them by us because pressures are forced onto us. Um, and if you said to any teachers, you know, how would you like to deal with students in the run-up to, to exams? I'm sure none of us would be saying, well, we want them in revision sessions every hour God sends, you know, giving up their holidays or taking work on holiday with them. None of us would want that. But we all end up doing it because, you know, your performance management depends on it. If you haven't done absolutely everything reasonable that you, that you could have done, then someone might turn around and say, well, I'm sorry, but you're not having the money next year. And, or, you, or you're even not having a job next year. And uh, it just seems so counterproductive to me. To, you know, the one thing we all come into education for is to help the students, yet the system doesn't seem to help us to do that. And that's, that's tough. And I know, Natalie, you, um, thank you so much, Darren. I know, Natalie, you, you, you started to get on this one, so I didn't know if you wanted to add anything more to, to this question. Um, <clears throat> I think, well, for me specifically, it's because I take it all on board. Every single child, every single student, every single member of staff, everyone who comes through my door, I take all of their angst and I try and smooth it away, make it less for them. And sometimes that's really good for them. And the important thing for me at that moment is I just try and normalize whatever they're feeling. It's okay to be really cross at teacher X. It's okay to fight with your mum. It's okay to be worried about exams. It is okay. Boys are rubbish. You know, whatever it is, you Darren. But it is okay to feel however you're feeling. Your emotions are valid. But in that process of validating how everyone else is feeling, I then think, well, I wonder how they are when they've left my room. If it's the end of the day and they've gone home, ha have they made friends with mum again? Has the relationship been mended? Is it destructive? How are they feeling? How are they sleeping? And then I get stressed and then first thing in the morning, I have to go and find that child, find that member of staff and see how they're doing and letting them know that actually there's someone in your corner and I am your safe space. But in the process of being that safe space, I haven't slept. I am now stressed. I am now worried. It's all a bit consuming. Um, and then exactly as Darren says, you know, all of the pressures on top of the emotional roller coaster of, of being a mentor and a friend and that school money 
there's also the academic pressures of, well, if they do well, then the exam was too easy. If they've not done well, then what, what, what did you do? And then there's in that, there's the September sheet that you need to fill in that says, well, what intervention did you do? What did you do? How did you do this? What, why, what are you going to do next time that's better? You know, your percentages of A to C grades are only, you know, this grade and what's the, not, you know, the six to nine grades like, and, you know, and you have to, and it's, and as a head of department, it's everybody's class, not just your own. Um, and that's, that's huge. So there's the work, work pressure. Then there's the teacher pressure. And then, you know, there's also stuff at home, like Dan says, you know, your family, your kids, you know, my, my kids are Lucifer one and two, and I have to cope with that as well. Do your homework, you know, come home on time. You know, where's your school bag? This is your fourth blazer this term. You know, <laughs> there's all of the other stuff that you need to try and cope with. And um, where do you let off your own? Where do you have your dump? Everyone else comes and they have their dump on you, which I absolutely will not change for a second. But where do you put, where do you, where, where do you dump? And I don't think it's fair to do it on my husband because he already thinks that all teachers do is talk about teaching. <laughs> You're not far wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, it's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> I am muted. I was doing that lovely thing. Sorry. I was trying to block out my children fighting in the other room. If you can hear them now, it's lovely. Um, uh, I thought it, you know, apropos to us having this conversation. So, did you just hear a scream? I don't know if you heard it. That, yeah, that was nothing. Okay. Anyway, lovely. I said, girls, you're, it's going to be heard on air. So here we go. Um, so moving to our fourth question, um, because it felt like Natalie, you were starting to get here, but let's let's go to Cat for this one. Um, how do you think schools can do a better um, can do a better job of supporting teachers with their mental health. Um, so in the UK, there's a new mental health person. Um, but as with many of these initiatives, it's a just don't give them any extra money and someone has to be in charge of it. So we tick a box. Um, yay. What I think is really important, I mean, there are so many things from talking to people that have come up, but I think it's really important that schools know how to talk to someone who's got a mental health problem. Um, and they make it a safe environment where we can talk about it. Um, funnily enough, yesterday I was speaking to a lady um, called Rachel about a project she's working on, which is a mental health in schools award. And she was explaining that it's not just, oh, you sign on the website and you've got it. You actually have to go through a really difficult process and then you can become awarded a mental health school award. And I just thought that that is wonderful because it really gets everyone thinking about it and it's a whole school approach so it's teachers it's support staff it's um, parents it's students it's all about getting everyone involved and then what she said is that the university she works for offers a master's degree as well and head teachers who've done the award are then going on to do the masters because they've then realized how important it is and i think just getting involved in projects like that finding out how you can support your students um, making sure that it's an open, safe place where you can talk about your mental health is so important. So yeah, just a few things I think schools can do. 
Thank you very much, Kat. Darren, what would you say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I'm quite fortunate that we've got in both of our schools a small team of people working on, um, not working on mental health, but looking out for us and, you know, just doing little things like making a point of popping into the classroom and asking how your day is and things like that make a massive difference because teaching can be a very lonely profession. If you're you know, teaching every period of the day, you may not see another adult, you know. Um, so those little things are really important to just stop in and maybe take somebody a cup of tea or, you know, in the canteen, do that whole pay it forward and, and pay for their coffee before they even get there. They don't even have to know where it's come from. I think it's a really nice thing to do. Um, I think it's really important schools are careful not to just pay lip service by doing, say, you know, Wednesday afternoon, everyone's going to play staff netball because that will make you all feel better, which obviously might be great for some, but others is the worst thing you could possibly do to them. And, and that's, that's no good for them as well. Um, you know, if you put something on with a mental health focus, don't tell people off for not going to it. You know, it's, it's their choice. Yes. You know, you can't, can't turn around and say, well, the turnout wasn't very good, people, and, and things like that. And I think more than anything, and I think this is where COVID situation hopefully will help, is for schools to be more flexible, to consider things like, you know, if, you, if your timetable says you don't start teaching until 10, why do you need to be in school at 8.30? Why can't you come in at 9.30 and actually be more productive? Drop your kids off at school one day a week. That might mean the world to somebody. Mm. And that makes that person feel better about who they're working with. That increases your, your goodwill as well. So it, it's, it's a mutually beneficial thing. But equally, you know, I've got friends who work in schools where they are allowed to book a, a Christmas shopping day. And it doesn't have to be a Christmas shopping day, but one day a year, they're, in, they're allowed to book a day off for anything they want and they just set it up and work and it's up and, and everyone gets that one day so if you know you've got a big event coming up like a, a, a wedding abroad or you know like, well, you want to go christmas shopping because you never get the chance you've got the flexibility to be able to do that because it's one day at the end of the day and letting somebody go and have one day to do their own thing is a lot better than trying to cover somebody for three weeks because they've hit breaking point and all of a sudden those students haven't got that specialist in front of them anymore. So I think, I just think we need to be more creative um, and look at education, ironically, in a more business-like way, in that how can we be more efficient? And actually, we can be more efficient by doing things differently, you know, and, and in, incorporating, you know, part-time workers that can sometimes restrict your timetable might not need to have to anymore schools with small numbers might be able to collaborate and do joint classes virtually and therefore you can run courses that you couldn't have run otherwise which might help you recruit better teachers or more teachers which takes the pressure off everyone else uh, and you know things like that i think we, we just need to start thinking about doing things differently in education Anything else that you want to add to that one, Natalie, before we get to kind of our final question? I know we've got about eight-ish minutes. We might go over a couple of minutes, which is okay, Kat. I don't think anyone's going to boot us off of here. But. I think that Darren is completely right. I, I think I agree. The, the most important things, he said it in, I think, two questions before, 
where he said about the accountability for results and accountability for pupils. You know, I think for me, a lot of my actual stress, stress about work comes from me feeling accountable because of the pressure. And it should be that leadership, some of the accountability on parents for the behavior of their child, for the lack of effort for their child, but some of that behave, that accountability also needs to go to the children because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I know I show up every day and I plan my lessons. I'm up until one o'clock at night. I'm planning, I'm doing stuff. I'm pretending, you know, that my classroom is a stage every day is panto for me. I'm out there doing it. Hello, jazz hands, I'm here. Where, where are they? And I, I think that's really important. It's that accountability. And I would feel a lot less stressed. And I would spend more time with a, a kid who's a one to three kid than I would, uh, a, I don't know, a four to six kid, because I think that one to <laughs> kid is probably more deserving or wanting of my, my time. But that you know, it's the five, four to six grades. That's what's important. But that four to six grade, it doesn't want to work. I've stopped talking. Sorry, I was catching the hand. No, no. Oh, so, oh, sorry. No, my internet was, it, it spazzed out for a second. I apologize. It just knows it's right at the end and it wants to help me. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Natalie. I'm sorry. I missed the very last word of what you said, but hopefully everybody else got that. Um, okay. And our, um, our last like big question before we get to any questions and any Q and a with the audience, um, and maybe Kat, I'll let, we'll let you start off with this one is how can we support teachers and students with their mental health during lockdown? So really important one is regular check-ins for students who can, obviously not everyone can do it, but I've been saying to any school I've been involved with that it's really important that you hold a session once a week just to check in with your students as a class, as a tutor. You just listen to them and play some games and gauge their opinion. We do a one to nine scale, that kind of thing, just to check in. Um, a lot of schools in the UK, the teachers are expected to call their students, some weekly, some termly. My nieces are 10 and 7 and one of them has been checked in on once um so it varies massively but i strongly believe that students should be checked in with where possible once a week for one session at the bare minimum um and i think the teachers need the same thing we've talked about this before but it's so important just to have that opportunity to vent think about in your school how often do you go into the staff room or into your office or whatever just to have a little chat just to have a giggle with your mates uh, and that's why we run our weekly staff rooms. Um, so anyone's welcome to join them. I don't know if we have the link handy, but it's um, it's our global GEG staff room. It's Sundays at 8 p.m. BST, which is 12, 12 p.m. for you over in Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we, we meet every week and we just have a giggle. And sometimes we talk about serious stuff. And sometimes we talk about our favorite flavor of ice cream. And it just, depends on the mood of the people in the room 
and that having that opportunity yeah. I don't know about everyone else but for me that has been a huge weight off my shoulders just knowing that I had that check-in and I think schools should be doing something similar just an optional pop-in um, a buddy system a have somebody if you know somebody's been quiet just drop them a message uh, and it, it's just really important to have that face-to-face -face or at least voice conversation with people yeah that's what I think Thank you, Kat. Um, yeah, so much of what you were saying was resonating. I wanted to, I'm going to go back and watch this recording and take some notes for what I'm going to do starting tomorrow with my students. Um, Natalie, what about you? Um, I don't know what they could do for me, but I know what they could do for my students. They could reduce the digital divide. That is huge. If you reduce the digital divide and then you have inclusion, and children who are included and feel valued will work. Perfectly said. Thank you. And then Darren? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with what, what Kat said. I kind of stumbled across the, the global staff room and it's the best thing that could have happened through, through lockdown. It was something I was doing with my own school anyway, and we were doing it daily. And it gradually reduced as people didn't feel they needed it much. And I think people got more used to not seeing each other all the time um but certainly that that staff room i would say and i know other people have just through conversation on a saturday or on a friday been saying really looking forward to staff room on sunday night you know because it's just an opportunity to to let off a bit of steam with like-minded individuals and i think yeah schools need to need to do that i'm i'm very fortunate in my school um i get a fortnightly phone call um, from a member of the senior team who, who checks in with me fortnightly and it's it's a very quick chat how are things how are you doing you know is there anything you need any support with but you know it's just nice to know that your school is thinking about you uh, and you might have nothing to share and nothing to say but it's still nice to hear another voice at the end of the phone as well uh, and again exactly like Kat was saying we've been doing the same thing with our students my daughter however when they finished in uh, the 20th of March whatever it was She's not had a single phone call since then. Um, no one's checked in with her at all, apart from to check whether she's still thinking about going to sit on. And part of me wants to say, no, tell them to stick it. Um, but I won't because it's her decision. But, you know, that's, everybody comes to things in different ways, but I think, you know, this, this is tough. This is tough because I watched something on Facebook earlier, uh, and some people might have seen it, as a, a, a dad in America who's, um, talking about his son who committed suicide um, during lockdown and um, absolutely heartbreaking to watch. But it, he was basically saying, you know, this isn't like this isn't normal for anybody. This isn't the summer. Kids aren't having a great time because they've got loads of time off school. This is not normal. Their parents are stressed out. Their parents are losing jobs. They've got nowhere near the same amount of money coming in they can't go and see their friends they can't go out and do things um it's tough on them and, and that puts a whole load of new pressures on um and that makes it riskier to fail you know and and sometimes if you know and in this case it's the, the young lad involved um lost his temper with his game of Fortnite or whatever it was and threw his controller and broke his telly uh, and for him that was just like, I can't possibly face up to that because the family aren't in a position to be able to replace it for me. I've already had a new one um, because of last time and he had no other alternative. And I just think that's, 
that's just awful. You know? And it's happening far too often, not just with younger people, but with adults as well. Um, we've got to look out for each other. And a, a little word, a little wave as you go past, you know, a little text makes a world of difference. I just want to say thank you all for sharing and some of the things that people were commenting on and what what I was hearing too was about this idea of making sure that other people are feeling seen and that there's like this regular check-in and how can we how can we as educators if we're on the outside of this or if we're on the inside of this help to ensure that those processes are happening for our students and for people outside of our own classrooms right like it's bigger than just the people that we get to see each day and for our other staff members. So um, I know that there, there have been some pieces that might um, come up, have come up and maybe um, Kat will make sure that, that if there's anything, I know you've been responding to people um, in there as well. There's been some other responses, but it's been quite an active chat um, this evening or this daytime if you're here with me in the US. Um, and it seems- Steph is gone continue. Sorry if I'm cutting out. It seems like this is a conversation that people want to continue. Um, so um, one of the things I, I didn't know if at this point you wanted to put up your form and maybe talk about that. Um, Kat? Yeah. Yeah. So as part of this ongoing project, um, I've mentioned my website already, but I'll mention it again. Um, it's mentalhealthandeducation.com. And I want to a collection of stories from educators um, so that people have an opportunity to share their story and people are able to read other people's stories and identify with them and realise that it's quite normal. Um, it's not rare for people to struggle with their mental health. Um, so I'm really, really, really keen to collect as many stories as possible. Um, they can, some will be published anonymously, some will be published with names on depending on person. And if you feel like you'd be willing to share your story, I would absolutely love it if you could fill in my form. You can see the link down below. You can find it at bit.ly slash M-H-I-E form. Um, you'll notice the I is lowercase there. It is case sensitive. Um, so please, 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 if you feel comfortable enough to share your story, do. Um, if you want to do a video submission, that's fine. If you want to speak to me on the phone and I will record your story for you, that's absolutely fine. Um, but as many stories as possible. So the site is live now. There are three stories currently on there so it's myself and Natalie um, and another one um, and yeah I hope you get a chance to read those stories and I hope some of you feel willing to share your stories too. Thank, thank you for, very much. Thank you for doing this Kat. Um, thank you for having a project that is so meaningful and I know that you have had some pivots and I just want to say that I'm really quite grateful for where you ended up. And I think that many people are as well. So um, lots of loads of positive comments in the chat coming in, just saying like, yeah, nice break, um, but like a, a worthy talk, right? About how school is gonna be different. People are scared, but lots of thank yous and that this was a necessary conversation. So much appreciated to all of the panelists for today. And thank you for letting me be here with you despite my internet and my children in the background. Um, but I appreciate all of you, I, I, I really do. So it was an honor to just get to be with all of you today and hear your stories, so thank you. Thank you, Natalie and Darren for joining us, for coming in on this. I'm so grateful for you both and Steph for host, hosting.
Thanks to, to Steph for hosting as well, and thank you. I won't say I enjoyed it because it's it's not the right word, but it's been yeah, definitely a couple of times had a bit, little bit of tears going on for sure. Yeah. It's like you say, Steph, it's an important conversation, and it's not a comfortable conversation. Um, don't expect it to be, but it gets easier. It's important to have it. Yeah. yeah. Really important. Thank you so much. And then, Darren, I didn't know if you want to push uh, the outro there for us. Yes. Yeah. Head out, but Kat, if you want to say. Go on. No, no, I just said, Kat, if you want to say a final thank you. So it was no, you. Just, yeah, just thank you to everyone for coming, to, for watching, and for joining us today and listening to us all. Hopefully, I'll hear from you all soon.